I'm going to pray first and then read Revelation chapter 1, and then we're going to study it, and we'll do our best to finish chapter 1. So would you bow your heads in honor of God's word? Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that it would do what you have already declared it to do, that it would discern our hearts, our thoughts, and our intentions, that it would not return void, that it would become a lamp, that it would become a light, that it would become a sword, that it would become food, that it would become precious, that it, Lord, would become alive. Do for us today through your word in these days, the days we live in. Lord, I had already had one person pray for me today, and the first words out of his mouth was, was the scripture I was thinking of. This is the day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice in it. And so here we are, the Lord's day. We're so thankful, but we're also, Lord, very needy. We need to be equipped with information that leads to transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, your word is the vehicle you've chosen to do that. 1 Corinthians one twenty one says that through the preaching of the gospel, you save. And so for those who are here today that are not yet saved, would you save them? Would you change lives? For those who are here today that are saved, would you give to us exactly what we need to live our lives the way you want us to? Heal us and set us free. We consider John on the island of Patmos as you showed up to him on that Sunday. In the midst of his trial, his suffering, his questions, his pain, you were there and you told him what you were doing. You didn't even necessarily give him a Band-Aid for his boo-boo, but instead you said, John, I want you to know what I'm doing because it'll help you to do what you need to do. So Lord, bless your word to us, we pray now. Give us ears to hear. Give, Lord, me a submissive and hearing spirit right now. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Let's, for fun, start at the top. Verse one. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, that's to Jesus, to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads, that's me, and those who hear the words of this prophecy, that's us, and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. And that's by God's grace, all of us. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you in peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us, this is where we'll begin today, kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Verse 9. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos. For the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp, two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun, shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. 
you would too. But he laid his hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Verse 19, the divine outline. Write the things which you have seen, chapter 1. And the things which are, chapters 2 and 3. And the things which will take place after this, the future, chapter 4 through 22. The mystery of the seven stars, verse 20, which you saw in my right hand in the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. Amen and amen. And thus concludes chapter one. We're done and we're going to take communion now. I told you we finished chapter one. <laughs> Woo! Record right there. All y'all who go here like whatever. That didn't count. Here's the deal. I do hope you're taking notes. I hope you're a note taker. Even if you just grab that pen and jot stuff on the side of your Bible as it comes to you. Because God wants to reveal himself through the book of Revelation. That's what the word revelation means. It means revealing. God wants you to see something different today. Listen, for a very important reason. That way you act different tomorrow. He wants you to see something so you know what to do. And you won't be able to do what you're supposed to do until you see Jesus as he is. It's that important. Until you see God right, you're not going to do right. And once you see God right, you're only going to want to do right. Can I get an amen from somebody? This is what happens. Have you ever decided not to look at God? La, la, la. I don't see. I don't hear. And you end up in the pig slop. You end up going places you shouldn't go. But when you have your eyes fixed on the Lord, you're able to then receive from him who he is and then decide to do what you're supposed to do. Let me just give you one proof text out of the Old Testament. It's in Exodus 33. Exodus 33, you don't have to turn there. Moses said to God, he's like, hey, I want to see you. And God said to him, well, if you, see, if you see me, you'll die. Nobody's allowed to see me. Here's what I'll do for you, though. I'm going to hide you in the rock. I'm going to put my hand over you. I'm going to pass by. I'm going to let you look at my backside as I go by, just my glory, okay? That's all you can handle right now before the cross, before mediation, before Jesus, before glorification, before all of that. And so he does this. Now, what happens afterwards is two things. Moses sees God. He's already delivered the children of Israel. He's already walking in power. But Moses is in a battle, Raise your hand real quickly if you're in a battle of sorts. Anybody in a battle right now? Like, what the heck, dude? Keep your hands down if you're a liar. Good job, you know. <laughs> I love church. Just, anyways. And what happens is, is Moses is in a battle, and he's like, Lord, I got all these people following me, and I'm a mess, and we're all a mess. Would you just show me what you look like? And God's like, you'll, you'll burn up, but I will give you what I can give you. And God gives him what he gives him. And then two things happen right after in Exodus 33. Number one, God gives to him the Ten Commandments. He gives to him the word of God. It's such a gift. We have this. God's given to us. As we look at him, he, we know what to do. He's shown us where to go, where not to go. Second thing that happens to Moses when he comes down the mountain, he doesn't even know it. He comes down and he's glowing. Remember that? It looks like he's been too close to the nuclear plant, you know, and he's got the, you know, all this radiation. And everyone's like, ah! And Moses is glowing. When you see God as he is, his word becomes yours, okay, and you begin to glow. You change. You are transformed when you look at him and behold him. This is our goal today. So we would be transformed and prepared for what to do. And I'll just say it this simply. How you see Jesus will determine your course daily. Is he good? Is he on the throne? Does he have a plan for you? If you believe all those things, you'll navigate your days well. If you don't believe those things, if you believed a subtle lie, and every once in a while, I wake up on the wrong side of the bed. You ever done that before? Wake up on the wrong side of the bed and all the promises of God are maybe and I'm not sure instead of yes and amen and you don't know and you gotta go back to the word or reveal yourself to me again because I'm, I'm weak. You filled me yesterday. That was amazing. But I tend to leak. So every single day, we need to let ourselves remember who God is because we're tempted to live small, selfish, sinful, silly lives. Are we not? Every single day. And it's when you see the Lord as he is that we realize who we are. And that's what we're seeing here. As a matter of fact, in the last verses that I just read to you, he declares that God has loved us and washed us with his own blood and made us kings and priests to our God. He's actually changed our job description moving forward, and he wants us to know that we need to move that way no matter what the case. Remember, context is king. This book, this revelation was given to John, the revelator. <laughs> and he was by himself. He'd been boiled alive in oil. 
He'd been banished, deserted. He'd seen all of his friends and family fed to lions, heads cut off. Okay? If anybody had a reason to tap out and take a day off and not progress in the Lord and be a little bit bitter, it was John. Okay? If you've ever had a tough week, John's week was tougher. Okay? Just so you guys know. And what happens is, is Jesus shows up to him and says, let me just make sure, John, you see what I'm doing because I don't want you to lose course. Let me make sure, Moses, you see who I am because I need you to be prepared for what's happening. Let me make sure that this letter goes to you, John, context is king, and that it's not just for you, John, but it's to the churches because the churches need direction, the churches need hope, the churches need an anchor and a foundation because they're gonna be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that comes their way. They're gonna be tossed to and fro by every fleeting thought that goes through your mind. Have you ever had a crazy thought? Don't even raise your hand, go to jail. You know, it's like, oh, I can't believe, I, can't believe I thought that. And you need the word of God. Yesterday I met with some new friends. They might be here today, I'm not sure. I just I got to know them yesterday, I went to their house and, and we were talking about truth. And I kept pointing to my Bible. I was like, well, that's why we have the word. Because your feelers and your experience, there's, there's no, no boundaries. You can go as crazy as you want. And what happens to you and what you thought and yet what God declares to be true, this is what we stand on. And so the revelation of Jesus Christ to John. Hey, John, I see you're here. I know you've been banished. I know it's the year 95 AD, first century. There's blood everywhere. Let me tell you the program. Write down the things you've seen. That's Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his glorified state. That's awesome. Let's focus on that starting and then write the things that are. That is the church, which is the same age we live in today. 2,000 years later, it's still the age of the church. And then write down, John, the things that will come after these things. The Greek word there is metatauta. We're going to see that in verse 19. I just read it to you. The things that come after these. Metatauta, we're going to see that same Greek word used again in verse 1 of chapter 4, where the future begins. This is what we're waiting for next. Right now, though, we're just like John. We're the church. Lord, what should we do? Congress and senators and legislators and presidents and kingdoms and chaos and wars and earthquakes and oil prices and economics and all these things are happening. And the Lord would say, yeah, I, I see all that. I see all that. And he interjects his word for you and for me. And so even when things get tough, even when there's a cost, the Lord wants to encourage us to be kings, priests, witnesses, and servants of others and worshipers of him. Here's the problem. This came to John, and I bet it wasn't that hard to swallow. See, John and everyone around him had lost everything, and this was normal to them. They'd seen Jesus lose everything. He died on the cross. And so in order for Jesus to come to him and say, hey, John, I just need you to grin and bear it. I need you to deal with it. I need you to be a king, be a priest, be a servant, and be a worshiper, even though it's difficult for you. Here's the problem today. Pinch yourself if you're here today. We live in the most comfortable age that I can imagine for the church age. We have everything afforded to us, at least here in America. There are regions of the church right now, they would say, not us, they're in the tribulation right now. But for you and I who are here listening today, we hear this message, our greatest temptation right now is just to become soft, complacent, and comfortable, and to become consumers rather than contributors. I'm gonna say those last two C words again, I want them to rattle around in your mind all week long. Our Temptation is to become consumer Christians rather than contributor Christians. God's blessed us. We've been given so much. Now, I'm all for sunscreen and hammocks and little vacations and, you know, great adventures. I'm all for that, okay? But the Bible says whatever you do, do to the glory of God and to stay focused. And so while John, I'm sure, was able to process this revelation and say, all right, guys, we need to be the church for us today, it's so important that you put your antenna up and say, Lord, what is it that you would have me to do? And that's why we've got to study our words and study the word every day and get our heads back into the game. So the book of Revelation of Jesus Christ was given to John to give to the church. That's to us. And let me just set the stage briefly. You guys have already kind of realized this. You guys know Caesar Nero was nuts, right? Okay, he was privileged, but he was crazy. As a young man, his mom murdered his dad, okay, poisoned him. And the historians, are they go back and forth. Most historians say they murdered him by giving the poison mushrooms to him to serve to his own dad by, by mom. So he died, and his mom remarried, and she murdered that husband as well. Well, raised in this kind of environment, Caesar Nero began to be aggressive himself, and he killed his best friend, ultimately got married, not once, not twice, but three times, killed every single one of his wives. 
his mom began to say, you know, I'm not really sure if this is uh, going a good direction for you in your dating. Tinder.com's not working for you, you know, and true story. No, no, that's not the true story. And then he reacted to his mom. He actually had his mom drowned to death in her bathtub. She didn't die, and so they took care of her after the bath. She was killed. Caesar Nero, he was crazy. The historians, they again argue on the various ways that he lived, and as Rome burned, and he blamed the church, and Caesar Nero would be the one who would execute Peter. He'd be the one who would execute Paul. Caesar Nero would ultimately be sentenced to death and kill himself, and then the next Nero that would come, Titus Flavius Domitian. When Nero died, the church breathed a sigh of relief. Oh, whew, Nero's gone. Now everything's going to kind of relax a little bit. Dun, dun, dun. Domitian comes on the scene, and he's even crazier, even worse. He was the one who ordered the boiling of the Apostle Paul. He was the one who would lead the regime that would kill six million Christians in those first hundred years of the church. And I say all that to say this. That's when Jesus appeared to John and said, I just need you to know the end, okay? Right now, you're in the middle. And I always ask you guys to raise your hand. You don't need to raise your hand, but just so you guys know, you're in the middle, okay? When we're done here, none of you are getting into your car and driving home to heaven. Like, I'm going to heaven. Like, you're going back to where you came from. You're in the already not yet time, the middle. You're going to heaven when you die. That's where we're headed, but right now you're here. And what's Jesus going to give to you? Is he going to deliver you from all your trials and take away all your pain? He didn't John. He didn't Peter. He didn't Paul. Instead, it went from bad to worse. And so what's Jesus do? He says, oh, let me, well, let me just tell you the end. Let me tell you the end. Let me tell you the program. And he gives to us the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he says, start out with the things that were. That's Christ. Start out with the things that are. That's the church. And then let me tell you how it all wraps up. Because God doesn't want you to lose focus. And I've sat with more than one person who's gotten their bell rung by life, hurt by somebody else, disappointed, surprised by themselves. Oh, I can't believe I did this. And the Lord comes in and says, what, what have I declared? Where am I at in all this? Am I still sovereign? Am I still supreme? Do you still have a job description for you? As a matter of fact, on Thursday, I think it was. Was Thursday the 27th? Don't worry, it doesn't matter. Thank you. On Thursday, I woke up and I was making my coffee and I looked at Noah as my son. I said, oh, today's the 27th of June. I said, it's my favorite psalm, one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 27. And so he jammed upstairs and disappeared, began to read Psalm 27. And I went up there later and I read it with him. And, and I said, here's my favorite parts, Noah. I'll share it with you guys too. Verse one, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and my foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. And I began to explain to him what that means. I said, you want to know my favorite verse, though, is the last two. It says, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And what David, the psalmist, is describing is the same thing that John is experiencing and the same thing that we need to embrace. Though an enemy may encamp against me, Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Does that mean there is no enemy? There is no hardship? There is no difficulty? Absolutely not. But if I didn't believe, verse 13 and 14, that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, I would have lost heart. Would you not? Would I not? Would we not just give up for sure based on what's happening around us if we did not believe that we would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living? And the final verse, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. Again, wait on the Lord. What's it mean to wait on the Lord? Let me show you what it doesn't mean. You know, you know. That's not what it means. That's what it sounds like. And I asked my son, no, I said, have you ever been to, you know, Tap House or Clearwater? And a waiter comes up to you, and they give you some water, and they back up. Do you guys need any help? Got questions, hors d'oeuvres? You want something right away? I'll be right back. And that waiter waits on you. And they come back and they get to know, why are you in Newport? Oh, you live here, oh my gosh. And they get, to, they get to know you and they care about you and they're concerned and they bring you stuff. The Bible says to wait on the Lord and to be of good courage. To ask the Lord, Lord, what's going on? How can I serve? Who needs what? How can I get to know some people? How can I be a good waiter? In the Greek, that word wait on the Lord that comes out of Isaiah 
literally means to wrap yourself around something, to wait on it. Not passive, active. Psalm 27, you guys can read it. July 27th, it's coming up soon. Or today, if you're a note taker, it should be in your notes right there. Wait on the Lord. Now, all of that is introductory to John receiving this revelation and being told by Jesus, John, write this stuff down and then give it to the seven churches. The seven churches are listed. We'll begin that next, chapters two through three. And each church gets a little bit of encouragement, some rebuke, and some more encouragement. Each church receives a report card from the Lord. Hey, I see what's going on. You guys are all messed up over here, but I love you, so fix it. And Jesus will do the same for you every time you go to the word He'll encourage you and tell you he loves you, but he wants us to get back in the game. And if you're here with me today and you're hearing this, this is the word of the Lord for the church today, that we would not just be contributors passively or consumers passively waiting, but instead we'd be contributors actively waiting on the Lord. Look at verse five. This is where we ended last week. It says, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, this is all about him. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's the ruler over the kings of the earth to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Stop right there, eyes up here. The motivator that John starts with is all about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for you. The Bible goes on to say that the love of Christ, somebody fill it in, compels us. Compels us. Sorry about that. The love of Christ compels us. What compels you? Maybe you grew up in a religious system. Maybe you grew up in some denominational system and it was the fear of the pastor or the fear of the priest or the fear of the people around you that compelled you, okay? John says, no, we're kings and priests to a man who gave his own blood for us. Hebrews tells us to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, lest you become discouraged and weary in your own souls. What? Look at Jesus. You weary, you discouraged, you scared, you conflicted, you confused. Have you been looking at Jesus? Obvi not. Because when you do, you'll see what he's done for you. And you'll soldier up. You'll realize, I can do this. Boots on the ground. And he's calling John because of what Jesus has done to step into what he wants us to do. You can write down that verse, Hebrews chapter 12, verses three through four. You can also write down Romans 5. Uh, verses 8 through 10, where it says God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. This is crazy. You know, Jesus bled for you on your worst day. Someone needs to hear this, by the way. Somebody who's a Christian here. And you're trying your hardest, but you're, you're failing or you failed. And, and you wonder if the Lord still loves you. Oh, man, I'm such, a, I'm such a bozo. Can't believe I did that. Can't believe I do that. The Lord bled out when you cared not, okay? when you gave him nothing, he died for you. If now you're struggling and trying to know him and to live for him, how much more pleased is he now with you than before? How much more now does he freely give you the graces of God? He loves you so much. And that love compels you to be the person he wants you to be. It's not fear. It's not shame. It's not regret. It's love looking unto Jesus. So what he says to us, look at verse six, and he has made us, now it's our turn, because of his blood that he bought our salvation with, he's made us kings and priests to his God the Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. There's so much in verse six, I just wanna point out the obvious. He's now changed our job description. You who are men, you who are women, you who are here today, you who are just normal people, he says, oh no, 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 you're kings and priests now to God. And if you just pull the audience, like you think a king's kind of a big deal, like, yeah, I don't really know what it means, but it's probably a big deal, you know. How about a priest? You think a priest is a pretty big deal? Sounds like a big deal to me, you know. We would all agree being a king or being a priest is a pretty big deal. And here John just says, no, that's you all. You're kings and priests. Here's my question. What kind of king are you? What kind of priest are you? Does it come to Jesus' Bible study here? Are you a good king? A good king will lead others. Stand up. The best of his ability best of her ability, and will lead others, will toe the line. Kings bring leadership, they bring vision, they bring purpose. Kings don't lose focus. Kings live for the kingdom of God and for others, not just their own self-interest. You can be a good king or a bad king. We all know history. 
Wouldn't it be amazing to just settle into this today? See Jesus, he died, he bled, you're saved, you're good, now what do I do? He wants you to lead somebody, okay? Most of us in here, if I could just be honest, most of you in here don't consider yourself leaders, you know? Every one of us are leading somebody and every one of us are being led by somebody. That's just the rules, okay? You guys got that, right? There's people above you that are leading you, but you are also leading others. Somebody's watching you, somebody's looking up to you. Settle into that. Ask the Lord to anoint you for that purpose. Kings set a course and they show up to battle. The question I asked you was, what kind of king are you? He also goes on to say that you are priests. Now, priests are a little different. Instead of offering leadership and strength, priests bring healing, comfort, and care. And as Christians, one of our roles is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. I don't know why I just smiled when I said that. (laughs) As we're priests, wouldn't it be cool if you just said, Lord, I'll be a king, I'll be a leader, I'll stand up for injustice, biblical injustice, okay? I'll be a king. Not all kings are popular. I'll I'll have an opinion that's biblical. I'll just stand there. I'm I'm a king. I'll do it. But I'll also be a priest. Those who are hurting, those who are oppressed, those who are overlooked, marginalized, fall through the cracks, those who are abused, I'll have empathy, compassion, and concern for them. It's a great manifold job description that the Lord has given to us. So question number two, what kind of priest are you? Are you, are you high and mighty? Are you better than others? Are you hard-hearted? Look at Jesus, see what he's done. Lord, make me a better leader. And Lord, make me a better minister. Leadership comes natural for me, I would say. There's all kinds of problems, but there's natural leadership, and it's the, the priestly, empathy, compassionate part that I'm growing in. I want to grow in that and become more sensitive and tender like the Lord. I believe he'll give you the ability that you lack as he does me. And you might be here this morning and it might not be a matter of ability or lack of understanding. Maybe there's rebellion in your heart. Let me just give you one more verse. 1 Corinthians 6.20, one of my favorite verses. And 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? You're not your own? You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body, which is God's. This is so fun for me. Sometimes I don't want to be a priest. I don't want to be nice to that person. I got some stories coming through my mind where I've been not nice to people. I'm I'm repenting right now. And the Bible simply says, hey, Luke, you're not your own anymore. Forget about it. So good. 1 Corinthians 6.20. You have a wrestling match with your obedience, what you're going to do for the kingdom? Tap out. What are you doing? Don't be a rebel. He, why? Well, he bought you at a price. What price? He bore your punishment. He washed you clean with his own blood. Last night as I was just meditating on these verses I'm giving to you, they've been life-changing verses for me, life-changing, because I've been a rebel without a cause. I've been as selfish as you could possibly imagine. I've done that. I've ran that road. And now I try to give of myself to my family and to my friends. I try. It's crazy. So different because of Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. When you see him, you switch. You repent. In all of this, verse 6, he says that God has made us kings and priests. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. John is about to die. He'll actually be released Domitian would die. A man by the name of Nerva would come on the scene and he would have a more compassionate heart towards Christians. It would not be a state crime to be a Christian. And so John would be released. And I wonder if it's maybe then that John was picked up on the island. He had this journal he put together. Like, oh, wow. I didn't even know who I was going to hand this to. Now I'm free. I'm glad I wrote that down. And he gives it. And... John didn't know that was going to happen, though. He didn't know, but he worshiped. And even in the midst of your situation, your darkness, your difficulty, do you see an end right now for the stuff you're going through? Is it an end you would pick? Maybe there's an end right now in your trial and your tribulation. It's not cool. Maybe you lost a family member. Maybe there's suffering. I see a lot of just suffering. And as Americans, we're like, well, isn't there an app for that? You know? Can I have it my way? This doesn't make sense. I didn't sign up for this. Like, hey, man, read the book. 
Paul, when he went on his first missionary journey, planted a bunch of churches. He got killed at the end of his tour, killed him. So then he went right back through the churches he just planted because they raised him from the dead. And he went back through all the churches with his arm like in a sling and his you know, eyeball hanging out of his head because they beat him up. And he told every one of the churches, hey, through much tribulation and persecution, we enter the kingdom of God. Good job. You know, there's your next VBS Bible study. Like, teach the kids. It's going to be tough. Point being, John worshiped. We're going to end our service today. I'm starting to think we're not going to finish chapter one. In worship. I got to hustle. Verse seven, notice this. Uh, Behold, he is coming with clouds. And every eye will see him, even those who, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so, amen. John here ends his introduction. Now he's going to give the revelation. And in the very last thing that he gives, next, next verse, verse 8, is red letters. Jesus signs off and says, yeah, this is all true. And he signs it if you would. But John stops his introduction by telling us what the end is all about. Behold, he's coming. Now, most authors and most movies and most books and all that don't give you the end at the very beginning. You know what I'm saying? They kind of build up to it. You don't know what's going to happen. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? John's like, I don't want you to miss it. I'm going to tell you right at the beginning. He's coming. He's coming because this changes everything. And he talks about what's in the middle. He talks about the end. And he ends the end saying, he's coming. I just want you to freak out a little bit because that's what the whole theme of this book is about. But the whole theme of the church for the last 2,000 years, behold, he's coming. And the word behold there in the Greek means you check it out. You do the work. You look into it. I'm not afraid. Here's the point. When you believe that he is coming, okay, here's the crazy thing. Every generation that's ever lived with the Bible in their hands has believed that they're the last generation. Okay, in the year 1200, they're like, they're reading the book of Revelation, like, oh, it's going to happen in our generation. They believe that. The generation in the year 700, wouldn't that have been horrible? The people that lived in the year 700, no Wi-Fi, all dial up, just horrible, no Mickey D's, all kinds, of, man, just tough. Average lifespan is like three, you know. Like, and they read the Bible, and they believed that Jesus was coming back. Here's the, here's the amazing part about believing he's returning and how it changes your life. 1 John 3.3, 3, write it down. If you have a hope of his return every day, oh, dude, the Bible says you purify yourself. Something happens. You live different. Okay, you just live, you just you glow. You you work different because you got that hope. And if he doesn't come back today, maybe tomorrow. And tomorrow you'll have a glow, a hope about you, a purification. I guarantee you, if you believe Jesus is coming back today, if I told you at seven o'clock today, okay, he's coming back tonight, right after I preach the six PM service, he he and I have a deal is gonna show up. Would that change the way you live your day today if you actually believe that? The answer is yes, it would. Here's the other thing. If you believe he comes back today and he doesn't, you know what kind of day you'll live? A fruitful day. You're going to bear fruit. Your roots will go down. Your fruits will come out. And at the end of the day, dang it, he didn't come back. Well, did you do anything awesome today? Yeah, all day long. Did you produce eternal rewards? Yeah, from sunup to sundown. <laughs> you know. Did you change people's lives? Yeah, eternally. <laughs> you know. So your day was, you slayed it. Yeah, it was totally, he didn't come back though. But, but you stored up treasure in heaven forever and ever today. You spent, you bore fruit today and lived as if he was coming back? Yeah, good job. And if you make that your lifestyle, not only will you be ready when he returns, if he should return, but if he doesn't return, you will live a life not wasted. You will live a life of worship. You see, I'm like the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter one, where in a sense, man, I wish the Lord would return today. Wouldn't that be so sweet? But it's better for those who don't yet know him or maybe for those who just got to know him that don't have a lot of fruit stored up yet, it's actually a, a, a couple more days wouldn't hurt. We got work to do. Got things to do. I got kids. Where's my son at? I got kids. <laughs> Trying to raise. <laughs> things we want to do. I'll tell you what. Let's go to the next verse. Jesus says, I am the Alpha. Actually, nope. There's more in verse 7. There's more in verse 7. Behold, he's coming with clouds. And every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. Just a few things for you note takers and Bible thinkers. John says that he's coming back with the clouds. We don't know what that means exactly. A couple thoughts. In Acts 1, when Jesus ascended, the Bible says that he ascended and was taken up into the clouds. 
And then angels showed up to the 12, the 11, and they said, guys, why are you standing there looking? Go into Jerusalem and do what he says. Behold, this same Jesus will return in so like manner. The same way he left will be the same way he returns right here on the Mount of Olives. And prophecy throughout the Old and New Testament declares that Jesus will return and he will set his feet upon the Mount of Olives there outside of Bethany. And when he does, the ground will be split in two. As a matter of fact, right now, you can do the research later today. On the Mount of Olives, there is a huge fault line that goes right through that mountain, right through Jerusalem, through the Eastern Gate. A beautiful typology of when Jesus is going to come and open up that Eastern Gate. And it could be that he's coming in the clouds. It could also be this. Behold, he's coming in the clouds. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us, that we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. I love this. That there are men and women who have gone before us, who are in heaven cheering us on. They can see what we're going through. They're fighting for us. And Jesus declares in the scriptures that when he returns, he will be with ten thousands and thousands and thousands of saints. The clouds, he's coming back. The clouds speak of his glory. Look at what it says in verse 7. There's some things that are very important for you to see here as you think through the future. Every eye will see him. There are two returns. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. There is the return of Jesus, and then there's the second coming of Jesus. The second coming of Jesus and the return of Jesus are different. What will happen next is what we call the rapture of the church, where Jesus returns not to the earth, but to the sky and raptures his church to be with him during the great tribulation. After the great tribulation is done, a seven-year period, Jesus will have his second return to the earth. There's the coming of the Lord and the return of the Lord. Here in verse 7, it says, every eye will see this event. That event is different than the rapture because the rapture will be, I'll use a word that makes sense to all of us, secret. It'll be hidden. The word raptus is where we get the word rapture out of the Latin word harpazo, which is in the scriptures in the book of Thessalonians, where we're captured away, snatched up. Not everyone's going to see that. Just Christians will be raptured and protected during the seven-year tribulation. This says every eye will see the return of Christ, where Christ comes back to set up his kingdom. And it goes on in verse 7. We're going to talk about all of that as we go through the book of Revelation. If that went right over your head, don't worry. We'll nail it down later. And it says, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so. Oh, no, I missed a part. And even they who pierced him will see it. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so, amen. The Bible says that when Jesus returns to set up his kingdom with the clouds, everyone's going to see it, even the ones who pierced him. The book of Zechariah says this prophetically, that when the Messiah shows up to set up his reign, he will have pierce marks on his body. And the Jews at that time will say, hey, who gave you those pierce marks? And the Messiah, who we now know as Jesus, will say, I receive these pierce marks in the house of my friends. And they will weep and they will mourn when they see what they, they understand what they, they understand what we have done to Jesus. Everyone will weep. They'll be weeping when Christ returns. There'll be regret, there'll be shame, there'll be sorrow. The Bible says in the book of Philippians that when Jesus returns, this is nuts, you guys gotta pack this one away. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then it goes on to describe who those people are. It says whether on earth, under the earth, in heaven, everywhere. Every single person, every single being will worship Jesus at least once in their life. Then will be the separation of the goats and the sheep. The sheep who heard his voice, who chose to worship this side of eternity, will be gathered together with him forever. And those who decided, I don't want anything to do with this whole Bible thing, I don't want anything to do with this whole church thing, this whole spirit thing, this whole Jesus thing. And they've taken the evidence afforded to them and rejected it. We'll one day see Jesus pierced and they will weep and moan and mourn when they see what they have done. And there will be a day where we all agree he's the king and we'll confess. This is something we need to be aware of. And if you're a Christian here today, you take a swallow, and you think this through, and you realize this is big stuff. If you're not a Christian here today or no non-believers, it has been clearly declared everyone's going to see him at one point, and we're invited to see him now, to receive him. And you who are believers, you take this to heart, and you nod and say, that's right. He is true. 
I remember in 1998, January, I got arrested for fake IDs in Ashland, Oregon. And I turned myself in. I got arrested there after a lot of, a lot of stuff went down. And so when I went back to the dorms where my friends were and told them what had happened, they all began to comfort me. Oh, man, no way. That's bogus, Luke. And, you know, all this stuff. And I just sat there and smiled. I'm like, why are you smiling? I was like, because this is what needed to happen. You guys, I don't even know you guys. I've been friends for like three months. You know, it's called college. You guys are weirdos. <laughs> and turns out I'm, it turns out I'm your leader, dang it, you know? <laughs> and they're like, and I, and I remember telling my friends, my friends, no, this is, it's okay that I got arrested. I needed this. You, you what? They didn't know I was called to be a pastor. I knew. I had stifled that call that God had put on my life at age eight. He told me what I would do with my life. And I denied him and ran from the Lord and paid the price. And when it caught up with me, it was a relief. Finally, finally I could be free from my lunacy and idiocy and I can pay for my crimes to the state and walk with Jesus in freedom. And when Jesus returns, every eye will see him and there will be a, a sense of awe and reverence from everybody. Everybody, past, present, and future, everybody will just be like, what? And they'll see him. And here we are. How do you see him right now? Do you, do you tremble in his presence? Do you quiver for his kingdom? Do you desire him to take over your life? Is there a battle for all of that like there is in my life? Is there a battle for allegiance to the king? Jesus went to Patmos, and he said, John, I need you to get your head back in the game. Write a letter to the churches. The, the, the churches? I don't go to church. Don't you remember that, Jesus? I'm on an island. I'm not even on a boat. I'm just on an island, you know. And Jesus said to him, I've got a program. Look at verse 8. We're going to get to verse 10, I promise. I can't believe this happened. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Those are the two Greek letters for the Greek alphabet, the beginning and the end. There's some thoughts the way it's written in the Greek. I'll just leave on the table. You can figure it out. He says, I'm the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, who is and who was and who is to come. Jesus here now confirms the beginning of this letter. He gives his own signature and he refers to himself as the one who always has been, the one who is, and the one who will be. Jesus stands different among everyone else. He created this. And now John is gonna hear the voice behind him on the Lord's day and he's gonna see Jesus and describe in chapter one what he sees. Look at verse nine. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. Let me just conclude before we get into Revelation 1, I guess. This is the first time in all of John's books that he refers to himself in his books. When he wrote the Gospel of John, he didn't refer to himself. And when he wrote 1 John, he didn't refer to himself. When he wrote 2 John, when he wrote 3 John, now when he writes the book of Revelation, he refers to himself in the first nine verses three times. Very colorfully in verse nine, he says, I, your brother, I, John, your brother and companion, in the tribulation and in the patience and in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And the reason I think John says this is because of the time that they were living in, the difficult days. John was separated from his church. He wanted nothing more than to minister to those seven churches, but he couldn't do it. Maybe he felt separated. Maybe they felt abandoned. I'm not sure what was going on. And so John says, guys, I'm here. Everyone else is dead. I'm your brother in suffering. I am your companion. Can I just say, I love being a pastor for, because God called me to be a pastor and I love just being where he wants me to be. That's the best. Just be who God called you to be. But to be a brother and a companion, to be a sister and a companion, 
and the suffering and the patience in the kingdom with others, okay, that's the highest calling, no matter what your, your title is, to be with each other. I sat with more than one, two, three, sat with more than, I sat with a bunch of people this week. And as I said yesterday, it was really special. Like I said, I met, met some people in, in Depot Bay that I, I don't know. And I just listened to their story. And I was so blessed. And as I was talking to, to the husband, I told him at the beginning, I said, I can't fix your problem. Like, I'm not, just in case you guys know, I don't have like a magic backpack full of, you know, stuff. But I can hear you, and I can give you, I can just be with you, so you know you're not alone, and his eyes lit up. He said, that's what it feels like. I just feel like nobody knows, like I'm, I'm alone sometimes in this. And what, what a big lie that the enemy tells to us, that we're alone. That's why I love church so much. You come together, you realize, oh, we're not alone. We got family. We're born into this. We're bought into this. We've been adopted into this. We're grafted in. We're not alone. And John here says, I, your brother and your companion in the tribulation and the patience of the kingdom of Jesus, I'm writing to you guys. I've never drawn reference to myself in John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, but I want you guys to know I'm here. You can do this, by the way, with the people around you. So easy nowadays. Text, email, messenger, phone call. Does anybody do phone calls anymore? Dan, Dan does. I do know that. I, I, I've not answered your call before. <laughs> I apologize. You can reach out to people and let them know you're here. You're with them. I would just draw your attention to verse 9. We'll start with verse 10 next time. Man. John says something that is worth chewing on, especially now. He says, guys, I'm in Patmos. I'm your brother and companion in the testimony and the patience and the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And I'm here as a prisoner for the word of God. What? Yeah, I believe in the word of God. And it got me locked up. Well, didn't I? First they boiled me in oil, but that didn't work. So now I'm here. Like, woohoo. Who knew? You know, who knew I was fireproof? I didn't know that. And can I just encourage you? This isn't your word. Okay? You didn't write this. What you believe about this word ha has little to do with you. You accept it. God wrote it. He asks you to stand on it, okay? Not belligerently, not pridefully, not arrogantly. He asks you to stand on his word. Having done all, stand, Ephesians chapter six. And when you stand on his word, you will get in trouble. I'm just letting you know. I do it for a living. And in our day, with grace and humility and compassion in our eyes, we need to be okay standing on God's word and, and suffering the consequences. Striving hard that people would see our love and compassion and concern for them, that they would see a transformed life, that we would be brothers and companions, not high and mighties, sin sniffers, condescending, judgers, stone throwers. Nobody needs that. But they do need you and me to toe the line and to say, no, you can't just make up whatever story you want. That doesn't, that doesn't work. Nothing, work. Nothing works that way. There are rules. There's laws. There's order. There's a plan. There's a program. There's a designer. There's a creator. It's all here. And they're going to get mad at you, and they get mad at me, and I say, ah, hey, I didn't write the book. This last month, I spent some time with some people that think differently than I do. It's kind of fun. And at the end of the conversation, I said, look, I said, you and I will both be held accountable when we die with the knowledge we were given. And I said, I'm doing my best to honor this book. That's all I'm doing. I got no personal agenda. This isn't about Luke Frechette. I don't, I don't want to control anybody. I don't want to tell anybody. I don't, yeah. I'm, I'm, God's going to look at me though and say, Luke, what'd you do? What'd you teach people? What'd you tell them? I said, oh, I told him the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Did you get in trouble for it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Did people misunderstand you? Yeah, a lot. And I want to encourage you. Encourage me. I'm going to have Pastor Ryan come up and lead us in a song, and, and maybe Marty. As the revelation of Jesus Christ goes out, now is the time for you and I to lean into these things and say, Lord, make me a priest. Make me a king. 
Make me one who serves, who lives, who helps others. Don't just be a king with a big old sword taking people's heads off, okay? Be a king with the truth and then be a priest that ministers love and purpose and compassion to the crazy, confused people all around you. So good. I read to you all of chapter one. I did promise you that. We did it. Your homework assignment is to reread chapter one, the description of Jesus. He's got a linen garment to the ground like a high priest. He's got a gold sash around his heart. He's got the heart of gold. His hair and eyes and head are white as wool with fire. He's got a sword coming out of his mouth. His voice is like many waters. Just read it. What does that mean? A heart of gold, he's got it. And I fell down dead. That's what he said. And Jesus said, do not fear. I'm gonna ask you guys to bow your heads. Father, we thank you that indeed you are so good, so great, so grand. And that as we study your word, Lord, we desire divine revelation that we would repent from our small, silly, selfish living today. Today, there would be repentance. Men and women would say, what am I doing? Why am I holding on to that grudge? Why am I being bitter? Why am I being a jerk? What am I, I'm a, what would John do? He would love, he would forgive. What did Jesus do? He, he washed me in his blood. And so, Jesus, we thank you that we can respond to your word, changed individuals. And, and Holy Spirit, would you empower us now to be the people that you want us to be? May no man or no woman or no child leave here today just sheerly trying harder, but may we instead surrender to the voice of many waters to the power of God. If you're here this morning, it's so simple. And you would, you would just say, Lord, I'm desperate for revelation. I'm desperate for power. I'm desperate, Lord, to do things right. I'm desperate. I'm here, Lord. And I'll be held accountable too. I'm desperate. And I want, Lord, your help to be the man or woman that you call me to be. I need help. Reveal yourself to me. Jesus, reveal. And the things that you've revealed to me, may they become powerful and evidenced in my life. If that's you today, would you just raise up your hand? Wherever you're at in your walk with Jesus, you just, you're desperate for revelation, desperate for power. Lord, my hand is up too. Forgive me for all of the smallness that still shows up. Forgive me for the sin that shows up. Raise up your hand if you're desperate for Jesus. You're just desperate for him. You want him. Lord, we're like John. We're here. Brothers and companions in the suffering and the patience and the tribulation of the kingdom of Jesus. Raise up your hand. Lord, would you anoint us and bless us and give us a fire and a fervor for the things of God. Reveal yourself to us this week, Lord, all the cool things happening, whatever's going on. May we just be blessed in your presence. Even in the midst of Nero's and Domitian's and other things worldwide, just not, we just, it's crazy. Yet you have a plan, you have a program. You can put your hands down. And as we come to the table, Lord, may we be reminded that you washed us in your blood, that it's all good that we can hold our heads up high we can forgive ourselves we can forgive others freely because you were dead and now you live and you will live forevermore it is because of Christ we do these things so Lord be honored as we examine ourselves and proclaim your death until you return in Jesus name we pray amen